I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... My Immortal. What is My Immortal? Think of it as the world's worst Harry Potter fan fiction. In fact, it's so bad that it spawned multiple urban legends about its creation, legions of devoted followers, and even a major book deal. The craziest part of all of this? No one knows who the true author of My Immortal is, even to this day. Act one, an endless vacuum of just Hot Topic logos. Since the rise of the internet, one thing has been apparent to everyone that's come within 10 feet of a computer. The World Wide Web has been a spawning ground for fandoms of all kinds. And as such, the great and powerful fanfiction world was born, right? Well, no, not exactly. Fan fiction actually dates back to the time of Shakespeare. In fact, the plots for Othello, Romeo and Juliet, and Much Do About Nothing are actually considered to be stolen whole cloth from plays that were produced during the day. Before copyright protections became a thing, many iconic stories were just literally taken and republished almost entirely. Specifically, Dracula was taken and published as Powers of Darkness in Iceland and Sweden. Sure, changes were made here and there, but it's literally Dracula, like down to the diary entries from Jonathan Harker and appearances of a character named Mina. Like, it's just Dracula. It was even serialized in the Reykjavik newspaper Fjallkonen didn't give a fuck about copyright infringement because from January 13th, 1900 to March 20th, 1901, they published Powers of Darkness. All art is is a remix. (laughs) We're here to deliver the spooky vibes with the Dracula man in the bloods. No, no, you don't understand. Dracula was like this. Dun, 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 dun. And our version was like this. Dun, 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 See, it's that little difference. <laughs> is that little difference you see you see a powers of darkness is very different from dracula because the ma- Swedish Shug knight do not dangle me over this window <laughs> oh god oh god swedish mafia please please don't don't break my legs not to be confused with one hit wonder techno band swedish house mafia which was popular in early 2010s <laughs> the actual swedish mafia <laughs> Yeah, but regardless, the, the this fucking Reykjavik newspaper, they just were like, yeah, Dracula's cool, fuck it. And they just republished it with the names of the characters changed, and that's about it. And some of the names of the characters weren't even changed. Sherlock Holmes, Alice in Wonderland, and the many works of H.G. Wells all got sequels, remakes, and republishes, and bootlegs. The key distinction here being that these works were all remade with the objective of, well, making a quick dollar. They're not pure expressions of fandom based in love. And honestly, they wouldn't have been until Star Star Trek. Yeah, that's right. It all comes back to Star Trek. Please buy Star Trek Seven's Reckoning on sale now, wherever comics are sold. By me, Davey Bakes, AA, Angel Hernandez, IDW, CBS, all of us partying. You should go buy it. I wrote a Star Trek comic. This is not a joke. I wrote a Star Trek comic. Go buy it, please. <laughs> 
the modern version of fanfiction stems directly from the hunger that Star Trek fans had for more Star Trek stories. But after the show's premature cancellation, after the third season, no new Star Trek stories, until the movies in the late 70s, were even on the horizon to be produced. The first Star Trek fanzine, Spockanalia, featured fanfiction and is widely pointed to as the fanfiction that launched a thousand imitators. Before anyone knew what was happening, the science fiction convention scene was awash in, you guessed it, fan fiction. Unlike many aspects of the early days of fandom in the late 1930s through the mid-1970s, almost all fanfic authors were women. Like by 1973, basically 90% of them were women. That's actually really interesting that, uh, I mean, I'm sure this isn't, this isn't the sole motivation for the entirety of fan fiction or the popularity of it or just that community. But it's interesting that a lot of fan fiction is sort of birthed out of lack of representation in popular media. Like tons of fan fiction is made specifically because it's like, oh, there, there aren't any gay characters in these shows. There aren't any like central female figures that aren't like love interests or or whatever. And so people just are like, oh, I'm just going to write it. I'm going to make that story. I, I, I want I want to create I like this universe. And I'm so I'm going to create this story that represents those things that I want to see in these stories, which is understandable and makes a lot of sense. But I, I just find it very fascinating that at least from what I've seen, like it, it's like this this huge community that specifically only exists because of this thing that shouldn't be happening, which is this like historical lack of representation in, in popular media. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think also specifically a lot of that, I think the the root emotion from that is is lack of catharsis because an emotional catharsis. And I think it stem it can stem from that root emotion into representation or it can stem just from wanting relationships to be fulfilled, whatever that means. You know, that's that's kind of why you have um, the like the shipping phenomenon of two heterosexual characters that are close friends in various franchises in fan fiction being paired together as romantic um, partners and the the fan fiction focusing on the nine times out of ten the, dom the domesticity and the the you know happily ever after nature of those characters relationships specifically with early star trek um fiction obviously it was people really wanted to see or there was a there was a, a very vocal contingent of the star wars fandom that wanted kirk and spock's friendship to become more than friendship they wanted to be romantic um and you know i think that's a pretty interesting and transgressive idea for the mid 1960s you know um and uh you know it, it basically that one ship is like the the you know the helen of troy that launched a thousand fan fiction franchises <laughs> this trend would continue throughout the early life of fan fiction and onto the internet in addition to many of the mail away zine distributors that would publish fan fiction early usenet groups used electronic mailing lists to establish discussion and review boards the subculture grew and grew and grew and we've t we've talked about this a, a few times kind of on previous episodes but like you know the the reason that molder and scully got together on the show is because chris carter never intended the characters to be romantically involved but there were big contingents of the fan base that really felt that there was a connection between Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny, and that ended up influencing the show. Um, you know, the same thing happened recently on Small, oh, not Smallville, uh, Supernatural. Same thing happened on Adventure Time. Same thing happened on Avatar, uh, I mean, Legend of Korra. 
Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's almost kind of a, I don't want to say a tradition, but it's the way we consume stories has now been fundamentally altered by the presence of the internet and by the vocal outpouring of fan suggestion, sometimes in a negative way where you get, you know, multimedia conglomerates capitulating to vocal minorities of white supremacists and, you know, pushing characters of color to the side to showcase the, in air quotes, less controversial characters, meaning the white characters. Um, or you get, you know, um, cases like I was just mentioning where there's characters who weren't intended to be couples who then over the course of the show, you know, the organic process of telling a story and also the fan base reaction to those characters um, cause the creators to be like, oh, yeah, this this actually makes a lot of sense. This is really cool. Let's put these characters together. And it gives the audience an interesting sense of catharsis, um, which I don't think really have happened prior to this kind of almost like fandom 3.0. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like the it's because of the I think I think it's because of just the subtle shift in the democratization of voice where, you know, even if, you know, if somebody sent in fan mail to Chris Carter or any, any show creator or showrunner for any show. Um, and even if they, even if they directly read it, uh, not, not that they just ignored it and never got it because it was just a one in a million pieces of fan mail. But if, if they even opened the fan mail and read it, it's still just kind of like, Oh, this is fan mail. It, the dynamic of it is very different. But with the internet comes this sort of this this sort of uh, this evening of a playing field or or the uh, the great equalizer type thing where you, so, like you know th- this these creators like you know uh, Rebecca Sugar or uh, especially especially newer ones like Chris like X Files was kind of even almost a different situation because the internet was new or or at least you know as as a as a public tool used for recreational. Um, uh, pursuits. It was a new thing, but especially now where you have like Rebecca Sugar or uh, Pendleton Ward or um, Eric Kripke, or I, I guess he was less involved with the whole Tumblr stuff coming back in because he had already left the show by the fifth season. I don't think he was really involved with that stuff, but the the showrunners and the creators of these shows who have, are, have sort of grown up as also internet users just like us, they're, they, they've, you know, like Re- Rebecca Sugar, she was really into writing Invader Zim fan fiction when she was younger. And the character Peridot in Steven Universe is like based on her female Invader Zim fan fiction that she wrote. Uh, so you have these people that have grown up in this ecosystem and then they're on the same platform. So like they have Twitter pages, they have Tumblr pages. And then they have these other people who are saying these things that are making this suggestion. And like I said previously, the the democratization the, the democratization of like, oh, like you, I mean, you're just you're posting from your Twitter page, which is kind of at the same as mine. I, I have more followers, I guess, but like it just it feels like it's coming from the same level. So I feel like just that subtle change in dynamic just makes people probably take these things more into consideration than they ever would have if it was just like fan mail or some person running it up to you on the street and being like, these people should be together or whatever. Um, and that's that's really fascinating that just that shift in the communication style has also contributed to these things being incorporated. The, the, the feedback loop of how 
fans make suggestions and it actually gets incorporated into shows now. Well, especially because it's like it's not just like you said, like, you know, prior to everything being online, it would take a massive coordination of logistical effort. Like when Star Trek got canceled the first time after season two and then they, you know, the Star Trek fans got it reinstated by at that point, the largest letter writing campaign in history, Um, you know, that that took tons and tons and tons of effort. Whereas now, similar type of fan vocalization happens regularly. Like, I would be curious to see the numbers, but I bet you when there's, you know, like, I don't personally care about this, but when the Snyder Cut thing was at its height, I bet you they had 10 times the amount of people tweeting and talking about the Snyder Cut that Save Star Trek had in, you know, 60-whatever when it was canceled the first time. Um and, and so those numbers, and it's also just so much more concrete when you look at like, insert celebrity here tweets, I really want to see the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. And it has 250,000 retweets as a, you know, purse strings holder at one of these giant companies. You're like 250,000 people all smashed that retweet button. Yes, I will give you X number of dollars to make this thing that isn't going to be that expensive that will get us a lot of eyes on our new streaming platform and will help our subscriber numbers and will make my bosses happy at me. You know what I mean? Like it, it's the the jump there is very um, it's easy to make. It's easy to calculate. Um, and so it's interesting when those people do come out and why they come out. And, you know, when you have somewhat toxic fandoms like Star Wars or some corners of Star Trek where there are these people who have views that are very, very entrenched and might not always be positive. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, the Star Wars fandom right now, since the Disney handover, there's been a lot of kerfluffle back and forth about, you know, certain a certain people, certain group of the fandom feeling like the movies are not targeted at them and being resentful of that. By 1998, the site fanfiction.net had been started. It quickly became the hub for everything fanfic, and still is to this day, which quite frankly is a shocking statistic. What site from 1998 is still around? The Space Jam website. Is it really? Yeah. The. I think, you, I think you're lying to me right now. Oh. I don't think it's still around. What is it? Spacejam.net? Spacejam.com? Just wait, wait a second. Just wait a fucking second. Wow. Wow, why is it still up? Did they just like prepay for like 50 years? Wow, this is some solid work. Look at this. Space Jam characters, names, Junior Jams, the lineup, Planet B-Ball. That's shocking. What else from 1998 is still even around to this day? What site? You said what else? Implying that you think that everything before oh, 1998 right, 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 has right, been right, destroyed yeah, like thanks. the Langoliers. What site from 1998 is even still around today? The site gave birth to subcultures within subcultures. Hockey fanfic, Star Wars, X-Files, Presidents, fucking Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy shipping fic, and loads and loads of others. It spawned whole careers. E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey was originally written as a Twilight fanfic. Anna Todd wrote a one Direction fanfic in 2013, which she titled After. This has gone on to be republished with all the main characters' names changed and is now a major motion picture as well. Most fanfictions have a couple uh, key building blocks that are associated with them that kind of dovetail into what we were talking about earlier in terms of representation and catharsis. Um, and uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about a, f- a couple of those building blocks briefly before, as we go through, go on because it'll it'll become apparent how these building blocks are so deeply entrenched in fanfics that it'll show up later in My Immortal. 
Um, one of the kind of basic components is that there's either a self-insert character, which is usually like not like an amalgam. It's not really a character. It's literally the person writing the fanfic. Um, or there's a kind of romantic or power fantasy element to the story that that self-insert carries out and resolves. Um, in a lot of Star Trek fan fiction, it's like the main character, the, the self-insert, the Mary Sue for lack of a better term, um, becomes the captain of the Enterprise and gets to make out with whichever of the female characters the writer is really obsessed with, and they pilot the ship through whatever they have to do and they solve the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty apparent trope that most fan fiction exercises, but I feel like it's worth really you know pointing at and saying this is what it is because as we go forward. It's going to be very apparent and it's going to be very apparent how that formed my mortal. And also, was it purposeful or just somebody really living out their fantasies? All of these successes have come from one place and one place only, fanfiction.net. To say that fanfiction.net is responsible for large swaths of internet culture would be a massive understatement. The site, much like the internet itself, has reinvented itself over and over and over again to stay relevant with the times. And yet, the subject of this episode is still the weirdest, most bizarre, and most obsessed over thing to come out of this very dark corner of the internet. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, Wingardium Emoosa. My Immortal is a Harry Potter fanfiction that was posted on fanfiction.net starting in 2006 and running until 2007. If you didn't know, My Immortal, just to get this out of the way, is the title of an Evanescence song. When you dream I wipe away all of your tears and you, or uh, no, when you cry I wipe away all of your tears when you dream I Wash away all of your fears. I don't even really need to see this music now. I just was enjoying the being serenaded. I don't remember the I blanket on the lyrics. And through all of these years, are you still here? So epic and by epic, I mean not my bag. I just have distinctive memories of early 2000s pre-YouTube videos on MySpace where it's like just low res words in like all these crazy overly stylized fonts saying all these really emo things about like being lost in the depths of sadness and all these things while this music plays in the background and just that video getting passed around like a chain letter on MySpace. Yeah, I, a bunch of my friends in high school had this song as their, um, maybe it was before high school. I think it might have been before high school. I'm not, I'm not sure when it was, but a bunch of my friends had this song as their MySpace like opening page song, you know, where you like open the, open your friend's page and it just auto plays. Yeah. Uh, that song is no, wake me up, wake me up, in, I can't wake up, wake me up, in, save me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're wondering, My Immortal was written by someone with the username. Andrew, you wanna you wanna you wanna tell us what their username was? Well, I believe in the uh, 
the common parlance of leet speak. It is XXX bloody wrist 666 XXX. I just need to drill down into this and say, Andrew, how is wrist spelled? Well, there ain't a W in it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> XXX bloody wrist 666 XXX. Fucking, fucking hell yeah. Whoever, whoever made this screen username, I want to be best fucking friends with you. I mean, I, that th- shit is dope. There, there is something aesthetically pleasing about the word, like bloody wrist as one word without the W. There, there's something, there's something aesthetically pleased. Like that would be the name of a um, late '90s, slightly gothier new metal band. I'm into it, man. I'm into it. I hope there's rap rock and breakdowns and like a drummer that like has like 17 foot pedals, and you're not even really sure what they all do. It's the, it's the. <laughs> it's the octopus from the evil within yeah playing yeah, drums exactly. in a new metal band <laughs> <laughs> we're we're evil within bloody wrists yeah i'm into it i'm into it to put a fine point on it my immortal is a goth fan fiction using harry potter characters and a mary sue stand-in character named andrew ebony darkness dementia raven way how is darkness spelled? For some bizarre reason, because there's no, <laughs> unlike wrists, the word is spelled correctly. There's no missing letters. And yet between dark and ness, as if a letter has been removed and, they, and they've created a contraction, there's an apostrophe. Yep. Yep. Also, I need to point out that Ravenway sounds like it might be like an Englishified last name. Yeah, but it's, it's two words. It's two words because whoever wrote My Immortal was obsessed with My Chemical Romance. So the character's last name is Way as in Gerard Way. Yeah, it's obviously a thing like everybody, a lot of people did on MySpace. Um, in fact, I had, a, I had a MySpace friend and then it briefly transitioned over into a Facebook friend. Um, who was just a, a friend of a friend who I just, I didn't know them very well, but casually was around them in, in, uh, certain circles. And then they added me on MySpace. And for the longest time, I thought her, her name was, her name was, uh, her last name was Wince. So her, her, her first name was blank, blah. And then on MySpace, her, her last name was Wince. And I thought that was her name. And then it wasn't until years later that somehow I became aware that her actual last name was something. And I realized that it was just her like, you know, because Pete Wince, who was the. Oh, I was trying to place it in my head. I was like, who's the guitar player the from Wentz? from Fallout Boy? And she had just had that as her name in that way of like, he's my husband. But she had just left it that way for years. I probably long after she gave a crap about Fall Out Boy anymore because it was like it was like in 2010 at that point. Um, but yeah, a lot of people did that, and so it's it's clearly like it's clearly her just doing that thing where it's like, oh, he's my husband. Gerard Way's my husband. Um, but uh, I mean, and the other the other things are just generic gothy things: Ebony, Darkness, Raven. It's it's not dark it's not darkness though it's darkness 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 darkness, darkness. Um, <laughs> the one that sticks out though is just not really being gothy at all is just dementia like <laughs> yeah she just has yeah they, they just have a horrible like brain uh like a horrible neurological disease <laughs> my 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 immortal Mary Sue character's name is like 
uh, Michael Graves uh, pancreatic cancer way. Obsidian volcano fourth stage lymphoma Manson. <laughs> Dude, obsidian volcano fourth stage lymphoma Manson. I feel like we got to do something with that character. <laughs> I'm into that. I'm into that. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, you know, if, if you haven't gathered by the way we're dogging on this, this fan fiction sucks. And we're going to get into just how bad it sucks in a minute. But to clarify, this character and all the other Harry Potter characters within the fan fiction were goths, emo kids, uh, and, you know, vampires because fan fiction. My Immortal is widely regarded as the worst fan fiction of all time. It's so bad, in fact, that it's taken on a cult following like The Room or Plan 9 from Outer Space, but a fanfiction for Harry Potter. The key distinguishing factor that separates it from the previously mentioned cult genre entries is that they all have idiosyncratic authors who are viewed as outsiders and artist savants on a good day, or fucking idiots the rest of the time. My Immortal, like so much of what happens on the internet, does not have an official author. XXX Bloody Wrist 666 XXX was claimed to be run by a girl named Tara Gillespie. She would run autobiographical footnotes in many of the chapters, some of them even outlining her relationship with her best friend, Raven. However, her true identity has still not been substantiated even till today. It's like House of Leaves smacked over the head with Gur from Invader Zim. And then just given to like a sixth grader who doesn't know how to type to transcribe. Like we're going to get into it in a minute because I'm going to, unfortunately we don't have to necessarily do all of it because I know there's a lot, but I have, I have, you know, some selections from the first couple chapters for you to read. I'm ready for it. Which are, oh man, they're so bad. It's going to be great. Um, The aspect of My Immortal that makes it so fascinating to the reader base, aside from the authorship melodrama that will transpire later, is in fact the text itself riddled with typos and bizarre emo goth vampire hot topic references and just generally awful writing. The validity of the book's sincerity has also been called into question multiple times. Many have suggested that it's a parody troll of fanfiction itself, but something that has attracted this much attention has to have been at least kinda good, right? Let's see, here is the first three chapters. We'll see how far we get through this. Chapter one, author note, special fangs. Get it, cause I'm gothic? <laughs> we're getting, hold on, we're going. So instead of saying special thanks, it's special fangs, like fucking vampire teeth, in brackets, get it? C-O-Z, I'm G-O-F-F-I-K, because I'm gothic. Oh, man. I feel like a little bit of context needs to be given there that at this time in the mid to late 2000s, it was specifically kind of like a trend or whatever you would call it for people, especially like goths and like emo people to write partially in like a faux British or Cockney accent. Well, that'll also come into play later because some people think that whoever the real Tara Gillespie is may or may not be British or from Australia or New Zealand um, because they the author uses British spellings, they use um, British anachronisms and they use they reference a couple brands that just americans wouldn't have access to or knowledge of typically speaking um so that might be kayfabe or it might be actually somebody from the uk who's doing it yeah i mean the casual mention of brands is the most compelling evidence to me but the other stuff it just it just lends to the ambiguity of it because I feel like at this time in internet culture, everybody was just casually throwing in British or Japanese 
phrases and words into into everything that they said um so that just so that just com- that just completely makes it just the riddle just even more complicated special fangs get it because i'm gothic to my gf Ooh, not in that way casual homophobia raven bloody tears 666 for helping me with the story and spelling you rock spelled you are okay Justin, you're the love of my deprising life. You rock too. MCR rocks. X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X X. Maybe that was just a line separating the footnote, but it was written now in X's. I don't know if that was supposed to be read out loud. It's 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 supposed to be the author creating the barrier between what is actually the chapter and uh the the author footnote. But goddamn it, it's so funny that it's just X X X X X X X X. Hi, my name is Ebony Darkness. Dementia Raven Way, and I have long ebony black hair, parentheses, that's how I got my name, with purple streaks and red tips that reaches my mid-back and icy blue eyes like limpid tears. And a lot of people tell me I look like Amy Lee. Author's note, if you don't know who she is, get the hell out of here. <laughs> We're four sentences in, and this is already so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm not related to Gerard Way, but I wish I was because he's a major fucking hottie. So, okay. Her name just happens to be Way. But, yes, but also, if he's a major hottie, then why do you wish you were related to him? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I'm a vampire, but my teeth are straight and white. What does that mean? What do you mean, but my teeth are straight and white? I have no idea. Vampire's teeth are white and straight. What, like, I don't understand. I have pale white skin. Also typically a trait of vampires. I'm also a witch, and I go to a magic school called Hogwarts in England where I'm in the seventh year. I'm 17. I'm a goth, in case you couldn't tell, and I wear mostly black. I love Hot Topic, and I buy all my clothes from there. For example, today I'm wearing a black corset and matching lace around it with a black leather miniskirt, pink fishnets, and black combat boots. I was wearing black lipstick, white foundation, black eyeliner, and red eyeshadow. I was walking outside Hogwarts. It was snowing and raining, so there was no sun, which I was very happy about. A lot of preps stared at me. I put up my middle finger at them. So, so far, just casual switching b- between tenses of present and, and past tense. Hey, man, this is the darkness way of writing, all right? You, you're not Time is a flat circle. <laughs> hey, Ebony, shouted a voice. I looked up. It was dot, dot, dot. Draco Malfoy. What's up, Draco? I asked. Nothing, he said shyly. But then I heard my friends call me and I had to go away. <laughs> That is the end of the first chapter, basically. <laughs> That's the end of the first just chapter. All that build up to just nothing. Just all that build Dude, up. That, that the is descript- the, That's the the description of the setting. The description of the 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 unnecessary detail about the outfit she's wearing, and all of her physical physical description. All these things that she's doing, the 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 dramatic tension and lead up to this introduction of this character, and then she literally just says. Okay, bye. And that's the, that's the that's what it all builds to. Um, author's note: Is it good? Please tell me, Fangs. <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> it, it's so much worse to read it out loud. Like it, it really is. reading these like these two thousands goth slangs and stuff is like when you read it on paper, you're just like, oh yeah, like this is how everyone talked back then. But when you read it out loud, it just becomes so much more. Like, uh, like, it just makes you feel gross. I don't like, I don't like saying it. It's weird. Chapter two, author's note. Fangs to bloody tears 666 for helping me with the chapter. God. It sounds like 
Jar Jar Binks spoken out loud, <laughs> which maybe is slightly racist, and I kind of feel weird, uncomfortable reading it. I just picture it. I picture it sounding like, um, like Dick Van Dyke's wannabe Cockney accent. Yeah, it is. Oh, chim chimney, chim chimney, <laughs> fangs to bloody seas, six 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 for helping me with the chapter, gov. This was Dick Van Dyke who wrote My Immortal. I love that idea. <laughs> BTW preps stop flaming me story. Okay. The next day, I woke up in my bedroom. It was snowing and raining again. I opened the door of my coffin and drank some blood from a bottle I had. My coffin was black ebony, and inside it was hot pink velvet with black lace on the ends. I got out of my coffin and took of my giant MCR t-shirt, which I used for pajamas. Instead, I put on a black leather dress, a pentagram necklace, combat boots, and black fishnets on. I put on four pairs of earrings in my pierced ears and put my hair in a kind of a messy bun. My friend Willow, author's note, Raven, this is you, woke up and then grinned at me. She flipped her long waist length raven black hair with pink streaks and opened her forest green eyes. She put on her Marilyn Manson t-shirt with a black mini, fishnets and pointy high-heeled boots. We put on our makeup, black lipstick, white foundation and black eyeliner. OMFG, I saw you talking to Draco Malfoy yesterday, she said excitedly. Yeah, so, I said blushing. Do you like Draco? She asked as we went out of the Slytherin common room and into the great hall. No, I so fucking don't, I shouted. Yeah, right, she exclaimed. Just then, Draco walked up to me. Hi, he said. Hi, I replied flirtily. Guess what, he said. What, I asked. Well, good Charlotte are having a concert in Ogsmeaddy, he told me. Oh my fucking god, I screamed. I love GC. They're my favorite band besides MCR. Well, do you want to go with me? He asked. I gasped. What happened to the cliffhanger from last chapter? Who was calling her? We'll never know. We'll never know. This is like some this is like some fucking Chris Nolan shit. <laughs> it's going to be a payoff that'll, you know, come to fruition in chapter 44 chapter 3 author's note stop flaming the story preps okay otherwise fangs to the gothic for people for the good reviews fangs agent raven oh yeah btw i don't own this or the lyrics for good charlotte shralot for good shralot i so horrible to read i I cannot tell you how happy (laughs) this is making me hearing you have to say fangs like nine it's times so overused she like that she like so specifically focuses on that like she like she couldn't think of any other it reminds me of it reminds me of how the parking structures at universal studios like the first one is like the the pitch meeting for the parking structures like all right we got to name the parking structures at universal studios obviously they're gonna be like cutesy references to movies all right let's start spitballing let's anyone have any ideas what's a name for a parking structure <gasps> jurassic parking perfect that is a that is great this pitch meeting is off to a great start we are gonna knock this out of the park all right three more come on guys let's think of the next one four hours later uh frankenstein parking like <laughs> She could she she found fangs of like, oh, it's like it sounds like a cockney person saying thanks, but it's also fangs because you're a goth and a vampire and then in a vampire. But then she never could think of another one. She never found that perfect mixture of cockney, goth and vampire. And so she just 
stuck to fangs. It's kind of endearing. Anyway, back to the show. On the night of the concert, I put on my black lace-up boots with high heels. Underneath them were ripped red fishnets. Then I put on a black leather mini dress with all this corset stuff on the black in, the back and front. I put on matching fishnets on my arms. I straightened my hair and made it look all spiky. I felt a little depressed then, so I slit one of my wrists. Jesus Christ. I didn't <laughs> I didn't get this far into reading it because I was like I read a little bit of it and I was like, oh no, I'll, I want to go in. I want to go in cold to read this. Jesus. I read a depressing book while I waited for it to stop bleeding and I listened to some GC. I painted my nails black and put on tons of black eyeliner. Then I put on some black lipstick. I put on foundation because I was pale anyway. I drank some human blood so I was ready to go to the concert. I went outside. Draco was waiting there in front of his flying car. He was wearing a Simple Plan t-shirt. They would play at the show too. Wow, Simple Plan and Good Charlotte at one show? What a what a what a lineup. Baggy black skater pants, black nail polish and a little eyeliner. Author note, a lot for cool balls were it okay. What? A lot of cool boys wear it okay. Oh, okay. Jesus Christ. I don't know what's worse <laughs> that you couldn't read that or that I instantly could. <laughs> I think it's harder to when you're when you're reading something that's like confusing. It's harder to parse it when you're yeah. when you're the one reading it. It's like that, that game yeah. Mad Libs or Mad mm-hmm. Gab or whatever it was called. Okay, so the quote is with the, is Hi Draco with an exclamation point, but then it says I said in a depressed voice, but it has an exclamation point. Yep. Hi, hi Draco. Hi Draco. Hi Draco. <laughs> hi Draco. <laughs> Hi, Ebony, he said back. We walked into his flying black Mercedes Benz. The license plate said 666. Fuck yeah, it did. (laughs) Fuck yeah, it did. Fuck yeah, it did. And flew to the place with the concert. All the description of everything, the the minute detail about the clothes, the cars, and then just we flew to the place where the concert was. On the way, we listened excitedly to Good Charlotte and Marilyn Manson. We both smoked cigarettes and drugs. When we got there, we both hopped out of the car. We went to the mosh pit at the front of the stage and jumped up and down as we listened to Good Charlotte. I don't know. I don't know what the lyric. I don't know what the tone. The tune of this is. I don't either. I only know their like shitty pop. Yeah, stuff. I, I never liked Good Charlotte. I never. I never pursued their catalog behind beyond uh, lifestyle of the rich and the famous and a couple other singles. I immediately hated them. I'm, what if you just sang it in Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous? You come uh, you come in cold, you're covered in blood. They're also happy you're arrived. The blood, the doctor cuts your cord, hands you to your mom. She sets you free into this life, sang Joel. I don't own the lyrics to that song. Author note, even though she didn't reference it. She didn't notate it as an author note like she normally does, breaking the consistency. Joel is so fucking hot. I said, oh no, I thought that was Draco. Joel is so fucking hot, I said to Draco, pointing to him as he sung, filling the club with his amazing voice. Eh, Debatable. Suddenly, Draco looked sad. What's wrong? I asked as we moshed to the music. (laughs) They were having a conversation as they moshed. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Then I caught on. Hey, it's okay. I don't like him better than you, I said. Really? Asked Draco sensitively as he put his arm around me all protective. (laughs) While moshing still? While moshing, they're going to have this intimate moment, dude. Come on. (laughs) That's the ultimate emo goth is getting sad while moshing. Becoming vulnerable while you're moshing. (laughs) Really, I said. Besides, I don't even know Joel and he's going out with Hillary fucking Duff. I fucking hate that little bitch. I said, I said disgustedly, thinking of her ugly blonde face. Jesus Christ. 
I do not, I do not endorse uh, shaming of this sort. Just reader note, RN. The night went on really well and I had a great time. So did Draco. After the concert, we drank some beer and asked Benji and Joel for their autographs and photos with them. We got GC concert tees. Draco and I crawled back into the Mercedes Benz, but Draco didn't go back into Hogwarts. Instead, he drove the, he drove the car into the Forbidden Forest. Fuck, that's such a good cliffhanger. <laughs> It's like the equivalent of if we were just like, yeah, so uh, me and Dave, we went and saw Deftones and it was like a pretty cool concert. And we were just like, oh, yeah, that was cool. We liked that concert. And we left and then we went to hell. I mean, you say that, but that sounds like the good plot for uh, for a Deep Cuts episode. I'm just yeah, saying. You're right. I, I realized as soon as I said it out loud that it sounded badass. Ultimately, My Immortal lasted for 44 chapters. But here's where things kind of get strange. As the fanfiction gets more and more popular and gains more and more traction, the account gets hacked. Chapters 39 and 40 were supposedly written by a hacker. And then to make things even more strange, Tara Gillespie, aka Raven fucking Dementia, whatever the shit her name is, she didn't change that. She just stayed with it. So she just incorporated whatever the hacker added to the continuity of My Immortal. Which is honestly, I think that's really cool. That's like the coolest if, part of the whole thing to me. Yeah, it's really funny. And it, it that's also one of the places, that's one of the things a lot of people point at for that this is all just a performance piece trolling fan fiction. Because uh, it's too self-aware for somebody who writes fangs as much as she does. Um uh, so instead, you know, the, 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 the rest of the, the last four chapters and stuff, like they re, they kind of incorporate the stuff that 39 and 40 had done. Um, and just so there's a concrete outline of the whole book, I have taken the summary of My Immortal, all 44 chapters, and put it uh, here, which I'm going to now make Andrew suffer through reading, just so we all know the broad sw- swath of the arc of my immortal unfortunately not written in the uh signature ebony darkness prose style but uh the protagonist of the story is ebony darkness dementia raven way a 17 year old vampire who attends hogwarts located in england instead of the original book scotland which is funny to me that she probably just thought it was england yeah she just did it <laughs> a, a lot of the stuff like behind the scenes is a lot of people think that whoever wrote my immortal never read the books because there's a lot of stuff that she references that's from the movies that either is definitively stated otherwise in the books or just kind of like, that's not really how it is, but I could see why someone in the movie that's only seen the movies would think that. As a member of Slytherin House, Hogwarts is depicted as being divided between two cliques, the quote-unquote goths and the preps. Ebony and all the sympathetic characters are part of the goth clique, while the members of the prep clique are portrayed unsympathetically. Many of the main characters of Harry Potter are given quote-unquote gothic makeovers, moved to the Slytherin house, and renamed. The story begins by focusing on Ebony entering a relationship with Draco Malfoy, who is depicted as shy, sensitive, and bisexual. Draco invites Ebony to a good Charlotte concert in Hogsmeade. She agrees and they fly to Hogsmeade together in Draco's flying car. After the concert, they do not go back to the castle, but instead have sexual intercourse in the Forbidden Forest. Fuck, dude. Why didn't we read chapter four? We should Fuck. Oh my god. But are witnessed by Hogwarts principal Albus Dumbledore, often referred to as Albert Dumbledore. Wait, as in they're like fucking and, and he's Dumbledore's just, just like curving on him? <laughs> I guess. QAnon's gonna come after Dumbledore after this, who yells at them and derides them as motherfuckers. 
he just calls them motherfuckers. He just finds them in the forest and he's like, hey, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Stop fucking in this forbidden forest. <laughs> what is Dumbledore doing out in the forest in the middle of the night? Later, after learning that Draco used to date Harry Vampire Potter, a nickname he gained because he loves the taste of human blood, Ebony becomes so angry that she... <laughs> in a story... With actual vampires, he gets the nickname Vampire. <laughs> Ebony becomes so angry that she runs crying into the Forbidden Forest, where she meets Lord Voldemort. Voldemort, speaking in faux archaic English, unlike his teenage self from the 80s, gives her a gun and demands that she kills Vampire Potter or else he will kill Draco, but Ebony refuses. Later on, Draco learns of this encounter, and he is so angry that Ebony kept it from him that he commits suicide by slitting his wrists. My god. <laughs> In a subsequent scene, however, Vampire has a vision of Draco being held prisoner by Voldemort. The discrepancy between this and the earlier depiction of Draco having committed suicide is not explained, though it is possibly an intentional plot twist as prior setups suggest Draco could not die in the manner described. It should also be noted that Ebony herself attempts suicide by slitting her wrist several times throughout the story, but it seems to have no negative effects on her. After rescuing Draco from Voldemort, Ebony and her friends attend a My Chemical Romance concert in Hogsmeade. After some songs have been played, the concert ends abruptly when the members of My Chemical Romance reveal themselves to be Voldemort and his Death Eaters. Fuck yes. <laughs> Wait, so... Are My Chemical Romance, were they Voldemort all along? Like Gerard Ray just was Voldemort? Or were they just were they, or were they just posing as My Chemical Romance? In which case, I really love the idea of Voldemort being like, all right, all right, we have to learn. I'm not okay, I promise. From the top. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the City. <laughs> to, practicing to, to get the songs right. To see <laughs> like they, a marching band. They use the whatever, the polyjuice potion or whatever that you can make yourself look like anybody. And they turn into my chemical romance, but they're like, the one thing that magic cannot replicate is musical talent. So we have to actually learn these songs all the death eaters are just there them. just like oh shit oh shit trust me actually you know it started out as just a plan to infiltrate this clique but I'm starting to really dig MCR <laughs> my chemical romance Saved my life. <laughs> I realized that I'm not okay. <laughs> they get up there and he's like, na 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 Everyone's like, boo! <laughs> boo! Play my Black Parade! Boo! He just, he's like, he's like, no. I refuse to play the hits. <laughs> Planetary is a great song. It should have been a single. That album was underrated because it just didn't deliver on the same vibe as what everyone was expecting after Black Parade. 
And then then uh, Grant Morrison walks out dressed as Voldemort in like he's cosplaying as Voldemort. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Grant Morrison as Lord Voldemort. <laughs> oh my god, I I love the idea of Voldemort genuinely having to practice the My Chemical Romance band songs to do this plan. <laughs> And then, and then becoming a huge <laughs> My Chemical Romance fan. <laughs> when I read that they were reuniting after 10 years, I flipped my shit. I'm not okay. I was one of the first to get tickets. I was first in line waiting for when they went on sale. And I was so disappointed. When COVID shut everything down. <laughs> Look at me. Do you think I'm going to resell these tickets, Ticketmaster? No. They're all mine. I hope MCR does a live stream concert like the Foo Fighters did. It's not as good as the real thing, but I need my way fixed. I just want good things for Gerard. I've even started reading his comics. (laughs) Before that, I refused to read graphic novels. But since Gerard started writing them, I've become a disciple. Oh my god. (laughs) I'm thinking of commissioning James Jean. To do a new Death Eaters logo for our joint tattoos. <laughs> I don't care if anyone likes this episode. <laughs> this was all worth it. It was. This was it really all was. worth it. So Voldemort, having revealed that he was disguised as Broadway, proclaims his intent to kill Ebony and Draco for the former's failure to kill Vampire. But they are saved by Albus Dumbledore, who had just given himself a gothic makeover. Fuck yeah. It's like the end of Greece, but Do you think he do you think he dyed his beard black? Yes, he definitely did. And he had just like he had like four inch plugs. The next day, Dumbledore gives a gothic makeover to the Hogwarts Great Hall as well. But Ebony feels that he is a poser and dislikes him greatly, a sentiment shared by her friends. During this time, Lucius Malfoy and Sirius Black are inexplicably shot by a gun-toting black guy. What the Ooh. fuck? Likely meant to be Blade, given the vampire themes. There is also a secondary plot point in which Professor Trelawney, or as it's called in the book, in this book, Travolry, Professor Sinistra, or Sinister, or Sinatra, combined into one character, has an addiction to what is presumably the true serum, Veritaserum. Wait, hold on, hold on. Before you go any further, if Frank Sinatra is a goth wizard at Hogwarts, does that mean that they have a like a duet off where he's like, there's like a mashup of like, I'm not okay and I did it my way? <laughs> he's like, I did it my way. Like a gothic fangs. Trust me. Fly me to the moon, let me play amongst the stars, 
Teach me how to levitate mushrooms with your wand and other magic shit. Yes. I mean, there's literally a Sinatra song called Witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) You're coming up with all these parodies and there's just already a song that's exactly suited for being the song that he sings in Hogwarts. Yeah, but come on, it's so much better if he's like, I did it my way. Like a goth in parentheses. <laughs> a third plot point sees Professor McGonagall, often referred to as McGoogle or McGoggles, and Severus Snape, often called Snap, but also Snope, Snoop, or Snipe. Oh God, I don't even want to say this. Attempting to sexually assault or harm the protagonists. Yikes. Yet another plot point follows Remus Lupin and Snape being bisexuals who spy on Ebony. Ugh. Yeah, and casual pedophilia. At one point resulting in a moment shortly after Draco's death where they are sitting on their broomsticks with Lupin masticating to Ebony bathing. So they thought that they meant masturbating, I guess, which once again is disgusting because these people are like, isn't Hogwarts like middle school? Like they're not even high schoolers. No, she says she's 17. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's 17. But also if if Tara Gillespie is English, I believe the English age of consent is like 16. So if and depending, I think in some places it's 15 or 14. I'm not sure. Um, But it's different than here in the States where typically speaking, except for Florida, it's 18. And I think in Florida, it's 16 um, and maybe Georgia. Um, but actually, I think Canada is different, too. I think Canada, it's 16 or 17 in a lot of places. Florida, Georgia, um, blurred line. Yeah. Um, so, again, depending on the authorship, this could either be really weird and problematic or it could be at least legal. Either way. They wrote masticating, which just means eating, which is that just immediately makes it completely innocent. Oh, still weird. I mean, not innocent. That's that's very strange. If your teacher was watching you bathing and eating. No, that's that's weirder. That's weirder than if he was just jerking off. I take back what I said. It's it's also very apparent, too, that whether it's a parody or like a troll thing or let's just let's just say for the sake of this conversation right now that it is serious. I don't know that I believe that it's serious, but let's say that it is serious. The person that wrote this obviously feels very underappreciated and unseen, which is why every character is described how they look like a billion times more than the actual thing like the plot or things happening yeah, the description of the character is like is like Jules Verne describing a plant for a chapter and then and then the actual plot is like nothing it's just like this was the elaborate outfit i was wearing uh oh hey end of chapter yeah like okay going under the the supposition that it is genuine the person that wrote this wants to be valued and wants to be wanted which is why all the characters are always leering and there's these romantic trysts yeah the, the person wants to be desired um which is either a commentary on being that age and making fun of those people and harnessing that rude emotion or just i did it my 
highway. Which was eating a sandwich while watching a 17-year-old bathe. Uh, to which she responds with shooting them a gazillion times. That's in quotes. In addition, Hagrid is inexplicably a teenage Hogwarts student who has a crush on Ebony and who is also a Satanist. Ebony begins having mysterious visions to which she confronts Professor Sinister. After gazing into a black crystal ball, she is told she must travel back in time using a pensive. Pensive? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that pensive? Isn't that that little thing you got? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, the, the, I'm familiar with the thing, the time machine thing that they use to go back and change things, but I, I don't remember what it was called. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that's it, but I don't remember how it's pronounced. To stop Tom Riddle, referred to as Tom Bombadil. Love it. From becoming Voldemort by seducing him, and to retrieve a cure for sinister Trevalry's addiction to Volksmort serum. Arriving in the past, she meets the young Riddle, who calls himself Satan, and who has been mistakenly referred to as Tom Bombadil, Tom Anderson, and Stan. Satan is in a band with James Potter, Severus Snape, Sirius Black, and Lucius Malfoy. He is uncanonically depicted attending Hogwarts at the same time as the Marauders in what is further uncanonically portrayed as the 1980s. The author points out a few anachronisms in these scenes, telling readers to ignore them. There is also an unexplained cameo by a gothic Marty McFly who gives Ebony a black DeLorean time machine able to transform into an iPod, allowing her to travel forward in time. Eventually, Ebony brings Satan forward in time where he morphs into the present-day Voldemort. This leads to a confrontation between the forces of good and evil in the Great Hall, in which Professor Snape threatens to sexually assault Draco if Ebony does not stab Harry slash Vampire. The story ends ambiguously with a shootout between Snape and Draco, Snape summoning Voldemort and Ebony firing off an Avada Kedavra curse, which is represented as Abracadabra. Abracadabra. <laughs> I don't know why I said that wrong. It's like the most recognizable fake magic word of all time. The total length of the work is approximately 22,700 words. That shit's more weird and complicated than the Deep Cuts Halloween special. Now, available in the the Deep Cuts feed. Uh, The total length of the work is approximately 22,700 words and was published between roughly 2006 and 2007. In the final author's note, there is a typo that has cast doubt on basically the whole proceeding. The mystery of who in fact wrote My Immortal is even more murky because in this final author's note, Tara says that she's moving to, in air quotes, W, which some have debated as a typo meaning Dubai and others think might be Dublin, but it is not clear and there's no concise solution that has presented itself. Uh, and then to make things even crazier, from here, My Immortal was deleted by fanfiction.net and there's many possibilities of why it was deleted. Um, there's a few theories, one of them being that there's there was a group of trolls that resented My Immortal's popularity who falsely reported it to the fanfiction mods and got it taken down. Um, another is that uh, Tara's account got hacked again and the hacker deleted it. Another that whoever Tara Gillespie was, or whoever the author was, got sick and tired of the fanfic garnering so much negative attention, wanted to move on, and she went in, or they went in and deleted um, the My Immortal fanfic. However, before everything was completely removed, it was archived and lots of there's another theory that it uh it, the the story gained sentience and it tr- it tr- teleported from fanfic.net into the actual original manuscripts for the real Harry Potter books 
And nobody knows this because nobody has gone back and read their old Harry Potter books. But if you actually go back and read Harry Potter, it'll just be this story now. <laughs> uh, so there's all these theories of why it got taken down. But the the kind of it getting deleted was kind of the, the like last straw that just caused it to just completely take on a life of its own. Um, and since being released, uh, it has just completely eclipsed all other fan fictions in terms of popularity. Um, it has been adapted into web series. It's been adapted into uh, podcast plays, YouTube videos, um, you know, thousands and thousands of YouTube videos claiming to understand who the real author is and these kind of like labyrinthian um, you know, explainer videos and deep dive uh, assertions of who the various authors could be. Um, Second only brief- to the many popular Bacon and Legs fan fictions, which have True. which have actually won Pulitzer prizes. Yeah, um, the f- the first fan fiction to ever won win a Pulitzer. Bacon and Legs, Miami Nights. Thank you. Uh, So we're going to just briefly go through some of the possible author theories. So the first one is that the real author of this is the person who was Raven, Tara's best friend. That username, Raven, started a fan fiction that's basically the same thing of goth Harry Potter kids a couple weeks before Bloody Wrist 666XXX, whatever, Tara Gillespie posted hers. And one of the theories is that whoever ran the Raven account, whatever that person's real name is, they were puppeting, puppeting both accounts doing this um, almost as kind of like a performance art piece in unison with each other because Raven's some real Andrew WK shit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Maybe it was Andrew WK. Oh, I would love it. Um, and a lot, and most people think that the most people that believe the Raven theory think that it's a troll fiction. They they think it's probably there's some who don't, but most people think that the if they think the Raven account was puppeting Tara Gillespie and that Tara Gillespie was not they they think she was not being sincere about it. Um, the next theory, which has come up somewhat recently, um, is uh, Sarah Z, who's a fairly notable YouTuber, did a. Cr- crazy long like multiple at least hour and 20 maybe hour and a half uh, videos about this and she did one specifically about this kid named Todd who is an Australian kid who basically attempted to prove to her that that he was Tara Gillespie and if you believe Sarah Z she found out who Todd really is she found out his real life and he is not Tara Gillespie, but for a long time has been, again, operating an army of puppet accounts, all attempting to convince people that he was um, Tara Gillespie, which is pretty her. I, if you're into this, I would say definitely go check out her videos. They're really cool. Uh, her main video is the reason why I kind of wanted to do this because it's so bizarre. There's a couple other like, you know, three or four other unsubstantiated claims. There's another thing <laughs> that somewhere in between these events where a YouTube, like in, in like 2007 or 2008, a YouTube channel popped up and it was a YouTube channel of these two like teenage goth girls named, uh, named, um, what the fuck is, what is her, what is, what is her, what is this fucking, what is her name again? Uh, Tara Gillespie? No, the, the, the full fake name. Ebony. Ebony. Raven. Yeah, okay. Ebony, yeah. Dementia, Raven Way, whatever. Yeah, so, and then what's in the name of, yeah, then the Raven. So, 
the the YouTube channel is these two goth girls and they're named they're named Ebony and Raven and they made these videos where they were just like saying weird goth things and they would like pray to Satan and all this stuff and so people discover this channel and for a long time it was believed that these were the two because it was like the 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 similarities were striking because it was like they had the same names they and they were goths they they kind of said similar things to some of the stuff that was in the in the books but they never acknowledged or said anything about writing these writing the fan fiction there's just the the the, the similarities were just uncanny and uh one day they stopped posting videos and then uh a while later a, a couple of years later one of the girls uploaded a video that was like her singing a cover of a of Monsters and Men song and it was like dedicated to the other girl and the song is about like letting go of like a lost partner or whatever so then people thought that maybe the other girl had died or something but then and they never they didn't post a video again for a long time and people were just like thinking this girl had died and then years later or a year later or whatever it was then they posted another video with both of them, so she wasn't dead. And people still thought that these people must have written it because just the similarities were too striking. Um, but then they ended up, it was like this long wild goose chase basically, where uh, a a journalist got in contact with them to try to figure out if they wrote My Immortal and they were like, no, we didn't. So it was just this, it was this long like lead that's how, that's, that, just, that just led how- nowhere. That's how a lot of this stuff is, because it's not even like they aren't the writer in like an interesting way. It's literally just like all these people doing online detective work for years and speculating for years. And then somebody finally asks the person that's the supposed target and they're like, no, wasn't me. Or vice versa, where it's somebody purporting to have done it for years and are operating an army of sock puppet accounts for years and ultimately, when push comes to shove, it's just like, oh, yeah, it wasn't them. It's just They just all have dead ends. Like, all the stories have dead ends. The fourth area of credit claim is a woman named Rose Christo came forward and definitively proved that she was Tara Gillespie. And off of that, got a high-priced book deal with Macmillan. Act 3, page 394, but like make it emo in some way. On March 7th of 2017, Rose Christo 1 wrote a Tumblr post, remember Tumblr? Featuring a character named Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. It went largely unnoticed by people. Are you familiar with the name Rose Christo? Well, there's a reason for that, but we'll get to it in a moment. Let's lay things out in chronological order. Rose Christo began writing a memoir about her childhood as a Native American in the foster care system, titled Under the Same Stars, The Search for My Brother, and the True Story of My Immortal. The book gained some traction. What's the worst title? Under the Same Stars, colon, The Search for My Brother and the True Story of My Immortal, Matrix 4 The Revolution, colon, Cracking the Genetic Code, or The Life of a Wannabe Mogul, colon, Mental Disarray. I hate to say this, but I think it's Bella Thorne. Yeah. I think that's the worst one. <laughs> yep. Isn't it a mental disarray? Uh, it might be. I think this might just be. I think it's I think it's life of a wannabe mogul, colon, a mental disarray. Yeah, I think this might just be improperly written. It makes more sense that way than a mental disarray. Yeah, I think it goes to Bella Thorne. Sorry, Bella. I'm sure your book that you spent three weeks on is really finely crafted and a triumph. Yep. 
a mental disarray. The book gained some traction in the New York publishing world and was quickly snapped up by Macmillan publishers. They allegedly hired a lawyer to verify Christo's claims. She supplied an email address that she'd created her fanfic.net account with and a flash drive containing the first 11 unedited chapters of My Immortal. The lawyer was satisfied that she was Tara Gillespie. That gets us up to March. In August 2017, posted on a fiction press account, she make it, she make it? You're, t- you're, you're, you're talking in the style of, of my immortal. Fangs, fangs <laughs> for your help, Andrew. It's just because I'm gothic, okay? In August of 2017, she posted on a fan press account making similar claims about being Tara, but still nothing, no public reaction. In later August, an independently published book titled Handbook for Mortals made its way onto the New York Times bestseller list. An ensuing scandal arose, which revolved around the author basically just buying their way onto the list. And this narrative, as well as the word mortal being in both titles, caused some speculation that the book Handbook for Mortals, which was authored by Lonnie Sarum, was actually really Tara Gillespie. Why did they think this? Well, no real reason, just because the internet is always looking to make connections. So the way that Lonnie or Laney Serum got onto the New York Times bestseller list is that she just bought a bunch of her own books. And I want to know how many books she had to buy to do that. They re- they released the numbers that at that time, and I believe it was like 8,000 in one week. If you sell 8,000 copies in a week, you make it on the list. So that's really interesting to me because I wouldn't want to do that to get some shitty book that is bad onto the bestseller list. But if, and I'd have to work out the math of how much that costs, which probably, I mean, how did she afford that? She must be rich. Like she must, like how else could you do that? Because we're talking about a a new book that just come out. Like it's not, we're not talking about mass market. We're talking about a hardcover, which is like at minimum, like 15 bucks, if not 40. And, and you, you specifically, unless, well, there's a couple ways she could have done it. She could have done it through, if she had book scan retailers that, that would help her. That's one way she could have done it. Book scan is the way that the book trade tracks sales. It's kind of like the Nielsen ratings for book sales. So if she had one or two or three book store, book scan approved retailers that would buy X numbers of books for her and then she would just pay them and they would do it at wholesale, that could work. A lot of, I mean, not to give away the kayfabe of everything, but a lot of comic book publishers do that and a lot of comic book creators do that. Especially if it's like a celebrity book, like um, when Tyrese tried to make his book um, Mayhem get optioned and turned into a movie franchise starring him, they partnered with Meltdown Comics. And basically they said, you know, we'll throw a signing at your store with a bunch of people that'll come through and we'll say that those people bought X number of thousands of copies to generate hype for the book. But I, Tyrese, the wealthy actor, singer guy, will just buy 30,000 copies of the book or whatever through the Meltdown account so that it'll track in Diamond so that I can show production companies and producers that our book sold 30,000 copies. As I'm making that number up, but honestly, it probably was somewhere around there um as a sales figure it, it happens all the time yeah i kind of i i, I kind of want to just keep that in my back pocket and someday just i want to do something weird i want to i want to get some weird book on the bestseller list like hillsmer's journal <laughs> hillsmer's how to dick turkey tree 
Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, Hilsmer's big big book of sweaty squamp jumps. The Squampanomicon. No, oh, the Squampanomicon. Of course. Yeah, the Squampanomicon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would think love that if we just got that onto the New York bestsellers list. I <laughs> People think are like, what the fuck is this? I think they, in fact, uh, it's it's so it's such a common practice that production studios used to do it in the seventies. Uh, Godfather. That's how they got Godfather on the New York Times bestseller list. Is they had everybody at. It wasn't Mario Puzo's breathtaking prose. No, what they had is the the company that optioned Godfather hired everybody that worked in both their L.A. and their New York offices, and they gave them all whatever fifty bucks each. And they had them each individually go to different bookstores and buy out all the copies of the book, artificially inflating the demand, causing them to order more, causing the hype to build, causing real people to go in and build, buy the books. The only reason I know this is because Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country, and staff writer on Star Trek Discovery season one uh, was a production dis- assistant in the publicity or marketing department at the company that was producing Godfather in the 70s. And he wrote about this in his book, A View from the Bridge, which I have read because I'm a huge nerd. Also, I wrote a Star Trek book, Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning, on sale wherever comic books are sold, written by me. We're going to make it seem like it sold really well by (laughs) having every Deep Cuts listener buy four of them. Yep. Yup. And here's where things really take off. An assistant editor at Macmillan tweeted that Sarum was not the author of My Immortal because they had a book coming out from the real author of My Immortal later that year, which then led to everyone on the internet to freak out, thinking that the Terra Gillespie mystery had finally been solved. But then certain details didn't add up. There were inconsistencies in Rose's story, vagaries, lack of specificity. People wanted more details, which Rose was cagey about providing. She eventually issued a public statement saying that she never would have included My Immortal in the book if it wasn't for the fact that it happened when she was a teen. Then a month later, in a Kiwi Farms post, Christos's real-life brother refuted many of the claims about their life and said that he didn't know if she did or did not co-write My Immortal, but he did know that she purposefully got aspects of their life incorrect. Including the fact that she was Native American. For real? That was one of the things? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, the whole thing. That, that was the whole thing. She was like, it was like, it was almost like she, it was it was a part, whole part of the sort of sympathetic story was like, you know, we're, we, we're, we're, uh, we're Native Americans. We were born on this reservation in this broken home. We were separated and put into the foster care system. We were sort of mistreated as, as, uh, as Native Americans within this, within the system. And I'm just trying to find my brother. And her brother was like, we're white, like completely white. I love it. Yeah, that she's not, that. she wasn't she wasn't uh, Native American. They were never in the foster care system. They had just gotten separated because they, they just they had a bad home life. She went to like live with her grandma or her aunt or something. And he stayed with her mom and he wasn't lost. Like he, she knew where he was and he had said that he had reached out to her several times and she just like didn't respond to him. I love it. Oh, the charlatanism. I love it. Macmillan investigated and they found evidence that she was a fucking liar. And they dropped the book. Rose Christo basically, you know, took to Tumblr, remember Tumblr, and in October of that year and revealed that her original name was Teresa Rose Constantinopoulos uh, and acknowledged 
Christodelopoulos and acknowledged that um, the forum poster who had come forward purporting to be her brother was her brother and conceded that she had changed aspects of their lives. But she said that she did it to protect her family members. Yeah, her statement on it is it kind of doesn't really make sense because it's almost like she's like replying to the criticism that she's choosing to reply to and just not acknowledging the rest of it. Because she's like, yeah, I changed details about our names to protect our identities. But it's like, but that's not what we're talking about. Like you said you were Native American, but you're white. And you said that you were in the foster care system, but you weren't. And you said you were looking for your brother. And that's why you wrote My Immortal, because you wanted it to go viral. And then you wanted to use your viral fame to find your brother as some sort of like weird, like, like 4D chess strategy that you somehow concocted as a as a preteen uh we're not talking about whether you changed your names or not we're talking about all this other stuff yeah but she still maintained that she co-wrote my immortal um which leads us to the final pervasive permeating question that lingers throughout all of the story surrounding my immortal who is tara gillespie and at this point it doesn't look like we're going to find out all right guys I admit it. It was me. I wrote My Immortal. God damn it, Hillsmer. It was originally supposed to be a Ricardo Montalban fanfic, but uh, I, I saw that uh, that Harry Potter was trending with the kids, so I changed it at the last minute. That's why that's why Vampire has just a sweet set of washboard abs. <laughs> there have been numerous other false claims about who the real Tara Gillespie is. From Todd, the Australian Bible-loving kid who puppeted an army of fake fanfiction.net accounts to The Batman, another would-be credit taker, to a half dozen other accounts that aren't even worth mentioning. At this point, the web of interconnected fans trying to take credit for the worst fanfic ever is almost as long as the Disneyland-like line of Harry Potter movie actors queuing up to say, Hey, J.K. Rowling, shut the fuck up. Trans women are women. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find my books, Fuck Off Squad, Coming of Age, Romance, Skater Comic, and Action Hospital, my magnum opus about life in a hospital that services people with otherworldly needs and extreme maladies. Um, uh, Thank you again for everybody who's been purchasing it. It's been super fun. I just did a new print run, uh, which is cool uh, because of the sales from, I'm assuming, this podcast. Um, unless it's just random people on the internet all finding it at once. Um, but it's been very, uh, very positive, very, uh, fulfilling because I worked really, really hard on the book and to see it going out to cool people is really, really rewarding. Andrew, please stop me from being so sincere. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at your nearest good Charlotte, simple plan, co-headlining concert. Socially distanced, of course. Mask wearing enforced. Good Charlotte ain't on that on that Smash Mouth shit. Smoking drugs with Draco Malfoy and and then uh, killing him and well, fucking him. You know, you have to fuck him and then uh, Albert Dumbledore has to watch you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can find me there, and you can also find me at dapricerights.com, where you can get my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. Deep 
Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com. And the Dead Boy Detectives, who 